Prison is a band-aid. It doesn't solve anything for nonviolent offenses, for low-level property and drug offenses. The more resources that we can devote to actually stop criminal behavior and stop the cycle of crime, the stronger we are going to be as a state and the better off our, our children are going to be. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this episode of the Mental Health Download. My name is Jacob Beaumont, and I'm the Director of Advocacy and Criminal Justice Reform here at the Association. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me for an election edition of the Download today. At this point, absentee ballots are traversing the state. Early voting is kicking off on October 29th, and Oklahoma voters have a lot to consider on their ballots this year. But on the back of your ballot this year, are two state questions that will have a tremendous impact on Oklahomans. And we're here to talk about one of those questions today, specifically state question 805, which aims to tackle the issue of sentence enhancements. In the interest of full disclosure, the Mental Health Association Oklahoma has endorsed the Yes on 805 campaign. And longtime listeners of the podcast will recall that we released an episode on the state question in the early days of signature gathering back in February of this year. While we'll be covering the basics of 805 on today's episode, I urge you to hit the archives and give our initial episode on this issue a listen, where I interviewed my friend Chris Steele on the topic. Not only will this supplement some of what we're talking about today, uh, but it'll give you an opportunity to hear another perspective on the campaign and what it's looking to do. With me for this episode of the Mental Health Download is Sarah Edwards, who serves as the president of the Yes on the 805 campaign. Sarah, welcome to the Mental Health Download. Thank you so much, Jacob, and, and thank you for, for highlighting this really important initiative. Absolutely. First and foremost, you're a new voice for our audience. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your uh, background and how did criminal justice reform come to be a, a top priority issue for you? I am an attorney with a local law firm here, Hartzog Congregation. I began my legal career at the Oklahoma House of Representatives, where I drafted legislation for child welfare, human services, and health care committees. While I was there, I saw, I spoke with foster parents, foster children, and sat in on so many studies and, and saw just the terrible issues with our, our child welfare system. and and what goes on. And I moved over from the Oklahoma House of Representatives to Governor Henry's office, where one of my main duties was helping with pardons, paroles, commutations, and executions. And there I saw, dug into the files there, we reviewed them very, very thoroughly. And I saw uh, so many people with childhood trauma, child welfare was essentially a pipeline to, to prison. And so many people in prison really had underlying mental health issues, untreated trauma, and addiction issues as a result. And, and that was really an underlying reason for the criminal behavior. So that really was eye-opening and began to, to fuel my, my passion for criminal justice reform. Chris Steele. I worked with Chris when I was at the, the House of Representatives, and we have continued to be in touch and, and talk about this issue and continue to learn and try to find better ways to address it. And, and Chris got me involved in state questions 780 and 781. And 
we've just pretty much continued since then. After the state 780 and 781 passed, we we regrouped our, our coalition. We have a tremendous coalition of bipartisan groups and service providers, stakeholders, community leaders. We re- regrouped after passage of the state question because the legislature was immediately attempting to roll back those provisions. And we've just continued on since then. Wonderful. And so pertaining, you know, as it pertains to state question 805, outline just, you know, what are what are the basics of state question 805 for our listeners if they're hearing about this for the first time today, if they weren't even thinking about turning their ballot over to look at the other side of it, what should they know about what 805 looks to accomplish? And if you could talk a little bit about why sentence enhancements were what this coalition decided was going to be the next frontier in reform efforts. Sure. So Oklahoma is the top incarcerator in the country and really essentially per capita in the world. We have we've been top incarcerator for women for three decades now. We spend more than half a billion dollars a year on prisons. And one of the the biggest reasons for our overcrowded prison prisons and mass incarceration are sentence enhancements, which can add decades onto a person's sentence. So these enhancements allow for district attorneys to seek time above the maximum sentence that's already in law for a crime if someone has a nonviolent prior offense. So we're getting people in prison doing 15 years for shoplifting or 20 years for drugs. If they've had a prior drug possession charge and then you know, maybe have a, a distribution charge, then they're getting, you know, 20 year sentences. We believe that this is, these sentences are, are out of line with these crimes. And so when we caught up with Christiel in February, the signature gathering process was, was underway. So this wasn't actually on the ballot yet. Since then, it seems that the entire world has been kind of tipped on its head, but we're still moving forward with an election. Uh, world, the world marches on. Can you talk a little bit about how the campaign has taken shape since February, since that signature gathering phase, and what it is like to, to be running a, an issue-based campaign during a pandemic when there's not a lot of opportunity to do door-to-door action? You know, Catch us up on actions since February and, and how a campaign has taken shape during the pandemic. Yes, it has been interesting times, for sure. So basically what we what we did, we originally had 90 days to collect uh, 178,000 signatures to get on the ballot. We ended up having to cut short to 80 days and we collected over 260,000 signatures. Wow. Yeah. So that told us that Oklahomans want this reform. We continued on and pushed to get state question 805 on the ballot because of that strong showing of signature collection. We um, had to kind of navigate getting this accomplished with the Oklahoma Secretary of State's office. We, Chris and I, and one other person basically wiped down, I think it was 53 boxes with Clorox wipes and um, delivered them in a U-Haul truck to the Oklahoma Secretary of State's office. So it, it's it been 
you know, basically just a step-by-step process. You, you know, we've had to kind of take it one day at a time and just navigate through through what we have. We often work with individuals who have charges related to homelessness, mental illness, and substance use. And, and often the, the arena I'm operating in is how we tend to criminalize these behaviors as opposed to, you know, seek um, healing or treatment or restoration. Can you talk a little bit about how this population stands to benefit from state question 805 or traditionally how charges like this, these nonviolent crimes, tend to be impacted by sentence enhancements and, and how they maybe perpetuate cycles of incarceration? Yes, we incarcerate 70 to 79% longer for property and drug crimes than any other state in the, the nation. Many of these low-level offenses are driven from addiction and mental health issues. The state question 805 stands to accumulate tax savings of up to almost $200 million over the next 10 years. And then in addition, $27 million per year after that 10-year cap. Our goal is to help divert that that money and those savings to programs that actually stop recidivism, that actually stop repeat offenses. And currently what happens is, you know, someone goes into prison for uh, a number of years, they get out, they're in the same position that they were in prior to going to prison. They don't get treatment, they don't get education, which we know that that Research shows that treatment and education and job training reduces recidivism by around 80%, right? But we know that just warehousing someone in prison without treatment or any programs does nothing to stop recidivism. So that that is the goal. You know, there are programs like Women in Recovery and Remerge that are extremely successful in doing exactly what we're hoping for and, and, and turning the tide and changing people's lives. And so you mentioned that one of the things that you know, State Question 805 looks to do is, is take these savings and divert them towards funding, treatment, and other things aimed at uh, preventing recidivism. And maybe this is an unfair question. State question 780 and 781 set out to do the same thing. And if, if this, and if I understand correctly, you know, zero dollars have come out of state question 781. The legislature, you know, it's you know technically their obligation to appropriate these funds and make them available for treatment to the counties. What degree of confidence do you have that state question 805, if passed, is going to result in these savings actually getting channeled to where they need to go if? you know, four years since the passage of 781, we're still fighting to get those dollars. Well, so actually, Jacob, Governor Stitt appropriated around $10 million to Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, I believe 2020. And those were savings from state questions 780 and 781 is, is my understanding. Okay. Except the governor is not excited about any state question, basically. And so did not categorize those savings as as coming from 780 and 781. Ah, okay. So mm-hmm. he accidentally on purpose <laughs> got $781. I appreciate the clarification then on on that on the Yes, the it's not that's right. It's not branded as 780 and 781 dollar 780 savings, but it is my understanding that that 
that's where it came from. And so what would the mechanism be that the $805 would then flow into these programs? What's, what's the intended channel for this all to uh, occur through? After 780, in 781, we reformed a 501c3, Oklahomans for Criminal Justice Reform, and additionally a 501c4, which Chris is executive director of the 501c3. And we are continuing to get grants and to push at the legislature with the, the 501c4 and continue to educate and push and, and work for for that, that diversion. Okay. So even after we pass state question 805, there is still then uh, a lot of advocacy and work that needs to be done to ensure that those savings actually get to where they need to go then. So, so there's, so there's a, there's a road ahead even after passing state question 805 in November, fingers crossed. That's, that's exactly right. But we have a team ready to roll with it and fight for it. You mentioned that Governor Stitt is not a fan of state questions. And I wanted to follow up and, and get your thoughts on, you know, because again, we find ourselves uh, at this crossroads where we maybe have a legislature that's unwilling to act on, on certain reforms that are clearly desired by Oklahomans. What, you know, in your opinion, what has gotten us to this point where we need to put another state question on the ballot to do this thing that is, is clearly something that is of interest to Oklahomans. If you've you know gathered more than 200,000 signatures in an even shorter time frame, is it a matter of the legislature not understanding what everyday Oklahomans really desire out of them? Is it an unwillingness to act on that part? What What's led us to this point where we now have to do this again, and as well as plan for a long road of advocacy afterwards? Well... Uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head, right? The legislature is not in really interested in criminal justice reform. And so the question is why? Well, one, one reason is because of district attorneys and especially district attorneys in the rural areas are, are very vocal with the, the state legislators and those legislators listen to their district attorneys and the district attorneys have fought every um, substantive reform that we have tried to put up through the legislature or ballot initiative. And they're, they are successful at the Capitol. Pivoting back towards 805, one of the, the key points of the Yes on 805 campaign, and, and this is as we're starting to you know, see opposition at the airwaves in terms of like, you know, what, what the perceived negatives of this are. One of the key points of the Yes on 805 campaign is that these longer sentences don't necessarily equate to greater public safety. Can, you know, which might seem counterintuitive to some people. They might think of punishment as a, as a deterrent or a long sentence as an adequate deterrent. Can, can you expand on that and, and maybe illuminate for our listeners as, as to, you know, the disconnect between long sentences and public safety? Well, I think it goes with if, if you're not treating the root cause of the behavior, then you're not you're not getting to to the real issue and prisons in long sentences don't treat the root cause of the behavior so i suppose you know you can argue that we're you know we're, our communities are safer while someone is locked up but the fact of the matter is that person will get out uh, eventually and they're in the exact same position as they were to repeat that behavior but additionally, 
I, I think we really need to take a look at, at what this does to our children because prison is a multi-generational issue. Another thing that I saw when I was reviewing all those files for Governor Henry's office, everyone had a relative who had been in prison. And what we're doing is we're on a, a trajectory and children, uh, children who have parents who are incarcerated are three to seven times as likely to become incarcerated themselves. And so we are um, basically, we're, we're just multiplying this, what we're doing. And it's, it's not sustainable. The smart thing to do is to address the behavior with treatment, job training and education and stop the cycle. And, and I think I saw it was it was one very common story of the campaign was a, a individual who received I think it was 33 years for stealing a lawnmower due to sentence enhancements and you know never mind trying to conceptualize a lawnmower being worth 33 years of incarceration but That's, you know how yeah. that removes that individual from their community from their family you know for 30 plus years. That's that's exactly right. To the tune of twenty, uh, approximately twenty thousand dollars per year is what we spend to incarcerate. But then, if you look, and this is something we haven't even calculated into the equation, but you know, if you, especially with women, eighty percent, I think it's around eighty percent of women in prison are mothers. If we look at the additional cost of the child welfare system, every child that goes um, into the child welfare system, that's an additional $20,000 per year we're spending. So if you look at that amount of money and the cost that it actually, the cost of, of actual treatment, it's it's just, it's significant. It's a significant waste. Mm -hmm. The One of the key points of the opposition is that they claim that there's a list of crimes that will be negatively impacted in terms of prosecutors and, and their ability to pursue accountability or adequate sentencing for, for, for certain crimes for everything from arson to drug charges. Does 805 tie the hands of the, the justice system at all when it comes to um, creating measures of accountability for these nonviolent crimes that appear on these lists that the opposition is touting? No, the legislature can go in and change, modify, change the sentence for any crime. There is nothing that restricts that. Additionally, the opposition is saying that judges and juries cannot take prior offenses into consideration when, when giving that it would, 805 would prevent this. That's not true either. 805 does not prevent judges and juries from, from considering past crimes when giving giving the maximum sentence giving you know what wh whatever that range is for each particular crime and i think also uh, you know their domestic violence has been raised and animal cruelty i believe a first time offense for animal cruelty carries a 5 year penalty domestic violence if you have two incidences of domestic violence it's not even convictions two incidences of domestic violence you can get up to a 10-year sentence. So we believe that there are mechanisms in law already in place uh, to address this. But additionally, there is nothing that stops the legislature from going back in to a statute and increasing any penalty for any particular crime. This All this does is take away that 
blanket tool that they use to enhance, you know, a sentence, which can be up to life in prison for nonviolent offenses. So as we begin to close out, uh, as Oklahomans get ready to cast their ballots, what's the what's the, the parting statement that you want to make to them as they start to, to consider, I've got my mail-in ballot right here, and, and while I feel very confident in, in my vote for yes on 805, if somebody's pondering this, what do you want them to have in mind as they think about casting that vote, yes or no? Well, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things I want everyone to know, but I suppose most importantly is prison is a band-aid. It doesn't solve anything for nonviolent offenses, for low-level property and drug offenses. The more resources that we can devote to actually stop criminal behavior and stop the cycle of crime, the stronger we are going to be as a state and the better off our, our children are going to be. Sarah, I, I want to thank you so much uh, for your time today, for joining us, for your expertise, and for your leadership on the Yes on 805 campaign. Listeners, that's all from the Mental Health Download today for this election edition. Please go follow the Yes on 805 campaign and learn how your vote can create meaningful sentencing reform. You can find the campaign at yeson805.org and at yeson805 on Twitter and Instagram. And while you're at it, uh, get connected to the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma. Join us in the Oklahomans for Mental Health Facebook group and sign up to receive our advocacy alerts at mhaok.org forward slash advocate. Most importantly, go vote. You can request an absentee ballot up until October 27th. Early voting in person kicks off on October 29th and runs through the 31st of the month. And if those don't work for you, please be sure to mask up and go vote on election day on Tuesday, November 3rd. Now get out there and go do good things. Thank you all.